Last week, I could not finish my sermon on Psalm chapter 5. I spent too long talking about house to house. But this week, I will finish this psalm. And it's going to begin a new series of prayer that I'm going to tell you about a little bit later in the sermon. Um, You probably noticed as we studied the psalms that prayer has been a really prominent theme. Now, last week we talked about prayer, and I don't know that I ever took a second to just define prayer so we all know what we're talking about. And I made this definition up, but I feel pretty confident about it. Prayer, in its most simplest sense, is communicating with God. God communicates to us in His Word. We respond to God in prayer. That's what we're talking about, communicating with God, talking with God. It's a privilege, a duty, a power. A lifeline that Christians enjoy. And I stress Christians because it's only in Jesus Christ that we have access to God, that we can pray to God. (coughs) So as we've been talking, we've been talking about those whose prayer lives are weak. Some people struggle in their prayer lives. Step number one, are you in Christ? Have you placed all your faith, all your hope in Jesus Christ? Have you decided that? You can't do enough good on your own to be acceptable to God. You need Jesus. That is step number one because it's only Christians who can enjoy this privilege of prayer. So I want to get that out there now and keep that in your minds for everything else that we talk about this morning. Jesus first, then prayer. I want to share with you one of the quotes that I shared last week. Prayer is God's ordained way To bring his miracle power to bear in human need. Prayer is God's ordained way to bring God's miracle power to bear in human need. So if you're struggling, you need to pray. If you're hurting, you need to pray. If you're depressed, you need to pray. If you're anxious, you need to pray. Prayer is so important, and I don't think that's news to anybody here, especially those of you who have been at church for a lot of years, and yet prayer is like trying to grab hold of water. It just evades us. And as we discussed last week, many of us just can't pray. We don't pray because we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to say, and we just don't feel like it today, maybe tomorrow. So we look into Psalm 5. The Psalms, remember, are like Israel's hymn book. If you read right at the very beginning before we read the chapter, it says, For the choir director, for flute accompaniment, a psalm of David. So this was to be sung. It was like a hymn. My wife plays the flute. It would be something that I would invite her to come up and play to accompany us singing this. So this is to be instructive for all of us about God and about life and about prayer. So, Meredith, come on up and grab your flute. I'm going to sing this. I'm <laughs> just kidding. So it's very important that we figure out how to pray and what to say and why we just don't feel like it today. So first of all, let's just read this chapter together. Psalm chapter 5. And if you would, as is our practice, those of you who are able, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. 
In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. And we're so grateful to have God's word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, very quickly, in recapping last week, first we tackled how to pray according to Psalm chapter 5. We won't learn everything about prayer from this one psalm, but we will learn some things about prayer from this psalm. And in terms of how to pray, in these first couple of verses, we see four different ways that David is praying. So if you can imagine in your mind that you are standing outside of David's prayer room, these are the four things that you might hear as you're wondering, what should my prayers sound like? What should, they, what should my praying look like? If you could stand outside of David's prayer closet, you would hear speaking. You would hear thinking, which sounds like this. Silence. You would hear crying. It might just be wordless, just emotion. Or it might be tears. Or it might be as it's represented here, just God help me. And you would hear composed words, carefully composed words. Now, I won't go back through all that in depth. I'll just reread these first three verses where we studied that last week. David prays, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. That word could be translated meditation, my, my inward, my thinking. Heed to the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. So there's different ways to communicate with God. It might just be words. It might be something that you haven't put words around yet. Just your thinking is Godward. And he hears that as a prayer. It might just be emotion. You don't even have the words to express the emotion, but you can still pray with it. Express that to God like my son expresses his emotion to me when he's crying. He hears that. He understands that. Or it might be really carefully composed words, something you write. Some of you may be poetic. You might put it in that form or a song or, or just write it in a prayer journal. Or you may not write it at all, but you might just think really carefully. What is it that I want to convey to God? Those are some ways, biblically, that we see are legitimate ways to pray. So if you're struggling with how to pray, 
I hope that's informative to you. Now, last week we also talked about those who don't know what to say. Have you heard these stories about people or read in books, people who spend hours in prayer? Martin Luther would say that on really busy days, he would say, I have so much to do today that I have to get up early. I need to spend at least three hours in prayer. Whereas I say, I have so much to do today, I'll pray next week. I have to get this stuff done. But Martin Luther would spend hours in prayer. And if you're like me, you have to be wondering, what are you talking about for hours? What do godly people pray about? Now last week we looked in here and one word captured it. Meditation. If you have nothing to say in prayer, perhaps you should stop trying to pray and open up your Bible and read it and study it and gaze in here at God and who he is and his character and think about it. Absorb it. And prayer will follow. That seems to be the way it works. Meditation about God leads to godly prayer. David says in here, he the consider my groaning. That word probably is better translated meditation. And then as you read the psalm, David's thoughts about God overwhelm and intermingle with his requests. Often we come to God as just request after request after request. It's like we bring our Christmas list to God. But when you read David's praying, a lot of it is just, God, you are this way. And so I believe it would be according to your will for this to happen. May it be so. In this psalm, he says, in verse 4 and on, You're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. You hate those who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. You abhor the man of bloodshed and deceit. And then he also thinks about his situation with, in a Godward manner. So I suspect that many of us are weak in prayer because we're just multitasking all day long until our head hits the pillow and then we're passed out. And then we wake up and we start it all over again. And days are ticking by. And next thing you know, we're 28 years old Heaven forbid, 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. And life's just flying by. And we've been so busy, we never had time to even think about God or the things of God or the scripture. So of course we have nothing to, to talk to God about. I don't want that for us, for you guys. I want us to pray like David prays. And it starts with God's word. And interestingly enough, I'm just going to throw this in here because I read it this week and I found it really interesting. I didn't even plan to give this to you. It's just a free gift for me to you. I was reading a book and I have never thought of it this way. I hope this goes with the sermon. Think about how you learned to speak when you were a little kid. Now, certainly you don't remember it, but many of you have had children and you know how children learn how to speak. How do they learn to speak? They learn it by being spoken to. My two kids are just swimming in a sea of words spoken to them by their parents, their grandparents, sometimes the TV, by all kinds of different influences. Kids are just swimming in words spoken to them, and then eventually they start to get things, and they start to speak back. But they learn it by what came toward them. 
And this altar, and I think he's right, and I think it's a really interesting point. I think that's how we learn to pray. We have to just swim in God speaking to us. And over time, eventually, we start to get it, and we start to get God and what he's trying to say, and we start to understand how to communicate back to him. And like little children, we learn to pray. And it's just as beautiful a thing as when my son now can come up to me and say, Hey, Daddy, whatever. And he says, Plenty. (laughs) It's just as beautiful as that relationship is with my son, as ours is with God, as we learn to communicate with him. Anyway, just an interesting thing there. So if you're weak in prayer because you don't know what to say, I suggest stop trying to pray so hard and start listening to God and let that meditation fuel your prayers. It's as though prayer is like a smoke signal that we're trying to send up to God. You can't have smoke without a fire. So God's word, truth about God, that's like the logs built in the fireplace. You wake up in the morning and you you take in some. It's like putting another log in the fireplace. Before you know it, the Holy Spirit will ignite that into fire and the prayer will come up. And it'll be genuine, it'll be real, it'll be beautiful. It won't be this duty that you have to, I have to pray. Matt said I have to pray. Then I gotta go to house to house. He said I gotta do that too. Once so you get off my case. Speaking of house to house, um, I hear groans. This sermon is also, it's the end of uh, our study through the first five psalms. It's also the beginning of a new series that we're going to do in August. And I'm calling that series Praying House to House. My hope is that this series will make our homes just beacons of prayer dotted across the city. Praying house to house. And what we're going to do is based off of this psalm. Each Sunday I'm going to present to you an attribute of God. Like his holiness or the fact that he is love. And we're going to meditate on that together. And then you're going to take that home and meditate about that through the week. And we're going to see how God turns that into praying in our real lives, in our homes. I'm excited about it. So you should be too. So consider a couple of practical things. I'm going to run out of time again if I don't watch out. Practically, what, what this might look like for you. Consider when you get up in the morning... Read your Bible a little bit. If you don't know how to read your Bible, we did a big study on that a while back. It's all up on the website. You can talk to me, talk to someone who does read their Bible. Read your Bible in the mornings and that will put something in your mind for the day to be meditating on during the day. Try to think of that when you're driving. Maybe a practical thing for you, turn off the radio when you're driving. Remember that study last week that shows that our brains can only do one thing at a time. And it can only keep track of two things at a time. So it's as though God designed us to just do one thing at a time. And while we're doing that one thing, we can also keep track of our thoughts about God and our prayers. So maybe practically just stop multitasking quite so much. Just do one thing. And be prayerful. Talk about what you've been learning with your families. Read your Bible at night so that as you're going to sleep, you're thinking Godwardly and not, oh, gosh, I'm so worried about this. I'm so afraid of that. Just lay all that on your bedside table and pick up your Bible instead and think about God as you go to sleep. I think we would see transformed lives if we just did these simple practical things to get God's word in our our mind. 
So that recaps last week. Now, this week, this is for those who just don't feel like it. Now, is that you? Are you someone who knows you're supposed to pray and, oh, great, here comes another sermon about prayer? You know you're supposed to. You, you even know basically what you ought to pray. You just don't feel like it. Now, there's probably many reasons that one might be that way. But in Psalm chapter 5, we see one aspect that might make you feel like it today. And it's summed up in one word, expectation. Expectation. I suspect that many of us don't feel like praying because we don't really expect God to respond. I suspect that many of us don't feel like praying because we just don't really expect God to comfort us or to give us wisdom or to give us the guidance we need or to give us the provision we need. If we did, I think we would feel like praying a lot more often. Quick informal survey. How many of you are on Facebook? There's more of you on Facebook than that. I'm friends with more of you (laughs) on Facebook. Okay, many of us are on Facebook. Now, some of you are more involved in Facebook than others. For those of you who are really involved, and I'm going to explain this for those of you who don't even know what I'm talking about now. Facebook is a thing on the internet. I never thought about how to define Facebook. It's called social networking. You get on the internet. You can see what all your friends are up to. They can see what you're up to. You can post pictures and share, you know, your trip to the beach or whatever. It's just a way to keep up with a lot of people in really short little doses. You get on real quick in the morning. You see your, it's called a news feed, and you see all your friends' status updates, which is basically what they've been up to. And you just keep track of people. You keep track of people that you haven't seen in decades back in high school that you don't even care about. But you can keep track of them because you have Facebook and it's wonderful. Now the status update is vital to the Facebook experience. Okay, for those of you who don't know. The status update is where you have a very short period of space, uh, a short block of space, and you type in something funny that happened to you earlier in the morning. Or something funny that your kids said. Or some clever joke you thought of or something that you think people are going to be interested to read about you. So I had one the other day. Actually, since we were talking about the Brocks, Kara Brock gave me this one the other day because last Sunday she dropped a pearl of wisdom on our Sunday school class. More beautiful than any I've ever seen. She said, you have to realize how baller God is. (laughs) Exactly. I don't even know what that slang means, to be honest with you. I think it started with people who were like really great at basketball or something, and then it became like a slang term for people who are awesome. But Kara said, you have to realize how baller God is. I, I probably really don't know what that slang means, but I think generally it's a good thing. I thought that was so funny that I put it as my status update later in the week. Now, when you put up a status update that you think is funny or provocative in some way, what do you do? You Facebook people. If you think you've got a really good status update, you eagerly watch to see, are people going to like it? Are people going to comment on it? Put LOL, which means that they are laughing out loud. You eagerly watch because you're expecting something to happen. That was a long way to get around to this illustration, this point. We know what it means to eagerly watch. There are times when we have expectations. 
And prayer is just not one of them for a lot of us. We toss our prayers up, it's like, and then we go on and proceed to do it ourselves. Now, some of you, Facebook means nothing to you, so I try to think of a couple of others. It's tax time, and you're expecting a big refund. You do all your work, you, you work with your accountant or whoever, or your program on the computer, you send off your tax return, and what do you do? You need that money. Vacation is coming. You need that money. Your car is dead. You need that money. What do you do? You eagerly watch. You check your mailbox 13 times a day. You wake up in the middle of the night and go check your mailbox. Because you eagerly are expecting something to be there for you. Now, some of you, maybe that's not even. Maybe you always owe money. Maybe this is a little more universal. It's Sunday afternoon. And Matt has been going on and on and on. And he's still going on. Will's looking at his watch. Mike's asleep. He's still talking. You're hungry. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You're hungry. Your stomach is growling. Finally, he lets everybody out. And you get through the small talk. And you get to the fresh house. And the Baptist somehow beats you, even though we said our time earlier. And you you wait for a table. You get the table. At this point, it's noon, which is... Crazy, and you're so hungry. You place your order, and what do you do? You eagerly watch because you are starving. And you expect something to come out of that kitchen for you. That's the kind of expectation we see in David. If you look back at the text, at the end of verse 3, it says, In the morning, O Lord, you'll hear my voice. In the morning, I'll order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Think of what it is that you eagerly watch for. I don't know what it is for you. But David is prayer. When he prays, he is expecting something. He's expecting response. And he's eager for it. So perhaps many of us don't feel like praying because we don't really believe God's going to respond at all. And so it's more of a habit or something we do because religiously we feel like we should. Now, there's a harsh warning about this I want to read to you from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting verse 6. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to. But James writes, But he, meaning the one who prays, must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man... Ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Is that you? Is that you this morning? See, it's not just that, oh, you're going to miss out on, on something. It's that you really can't expect God's response if you pray with doubt. Now, that seems really harsh, but first let's just look at, at this person and see if that's us. It says that this type of person will be 
like sea surf tossed by the wind. A lot of you have been at the beach quite a bit this summer. And you see the sea surf when it's very windy. It just scatters this way and that. There's no stability to it whatsoever. It's the definition of being wishy-washy. One minute, you're courageous, and in a second, you're cowardly. One minute, you're confident, and in a second, you're terrified. One minute, you have faith, and then in a second, you doubt. Now, how many of you, with every slight breeze of situation, you change? No stability. Maybe it's because you've been praying doubtfully. It says also that this type of person is double-minded. It's possible to have both confidence and chaos in the same mind. It's possible to have both trust and doubt in the same mind. And the Bible diagnoses that as double-mindedness. And it says rightly that the double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. At work, the double-minded man is unstable. At home, the double-minded man is unstable. At play with his friends, the double-minded man is unstable. He's unstable because he doesn't know which, which way he's going. He doesn't know which way he's up. He hasn't decided, yes, God is who he said he is. Yes, I can trust him. Yes, I will trust him. Instead, he has said, maybe God is who he said he is. Maybe I can trust him, but maybe I should do this over here instead. And so he's neither. He's in between. He's not hot or cold. He's lukewarm. So his prayers ultimately amount to nothing. And then comes this really, really stark, harsh word from God. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. See, I think many of us come to God and this is our demand. God, you prove yourself to me. You respond to me and then I'll trust you. Here's what I want. You do it. Then I'll trust you. And God looks down to us and says, no, trust me. And then I'll hear your prayers. You can't just want me for what you want me to do for you. I'm God. If you're not going to come to me recognizing that, don't expect me to be bending over backwards to answer your prayers. And we come to God within our mind what we want. And we don't care who he is or anything about him. We just want what we want. God doesn't listen to those prayers. Trust comes before rest. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I really think the Christian faith is hammock faith. Some of you have sat in a hammock. Anybody sit in a hammock this summer yet? We need to get some of you guys some hammocks. Will Balson is the only person in the sanctuary who has sat in a hammock. You need to get to work. You have sat in a hammock before though, I think, right? I hope. When you sit in a hammock, it's different from a chair. When you sit in a hammock, there's a lot of uncertainty going into that situation. But at some point, if you're actually going to rest in that hammock, you have to take your feet off the ground and just trust that that is going to catch your weight. That those ropes are going to stop stretching at some point and it's going to catch you. But it's not going to do that until you put all your weight in it. So some of us pray like half-heartedly sitting in a hammock. Some of us are struggling with all all varieties of things, and we need God's help, and we know that. So we come to God, and we say, we start to pray, and it's like halfway sitting in a hammock. And we just stand like this, and we're expecting rest. 
You're not going to get it until you take your feet off the ground and trust Him. Christian faith is hammock faith. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know if it makes any sense to anybody else. But I'm going to keep using that illustration until I die. Now, there's sometimes... We have to address why it feels like... What? We have to address why it feels like God doesn't answer our prayers. Because sometimes it feels that way. I'm going to move somewhat briefly through this. But can you agree? Sometimes it feels like He's not listening. Even when we have taken our feet off the ground and we have put all our faith in Him, it doesn't feel like it sometimes that He's listening. Well, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, A pastor named Mark Driscoll was fond of saying... There's really only three possible answers to a prayer request. Yes, no, or not now. That's really pretty much it. Yes, no, or not now. Now, sometimes God is saying no to what we're asking. The Bible says, now this is the confidence we have in Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The assumption there is, that sometimes we'll be asking things that aren't according to his will. And he's not going to say yes to that. Now there's so much that goes into this. This is an important topic that needs a lot of time spent on it. But I'm going to have to be general here for the sake of time. But it's somewhat like my little boy Elias. Whenever he sees the intimidator the tallest, fastest roller coaster on the East Coast, he really wants to ride it. He's like this tall. And he says, Daddy, can I ride that one? And I say, no. But in his little mind, all he sees is that would be awesome. Why? He can't understand the fact that it would fling him out of there probably like three miles away from Carolyn's before he ever hit the ground. A man named Tim Keller says, we never imagined... That getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. See, prayer is not about aligning God to our will. It's about aligning ourselves to God's will. Very important distinction to make. Praying is not about getting God to do our will. It's about aligning ourselves to His will. And you see that in David's prayer. Let me flip back there real quick and show you. In Psalm 5. When he gets around to asking for stuff, after he's been meditating about God, he says, Oh Lord, in verse 8, Oh Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Make your way straight for me. How many times have you gone to God and said, God, make my way straight? But the godly man goes to God and says, Lord, make your way straight for me. Help me to see where it is. Help me to walk your way. It's different. Now, again, I don't want to just breeze over this because some of the prayers that God might say no to are prayers like healing or matters of life and death. Now, surely God wants us to be healed and to live. But I am going to breeze over this too quickly. But there are greater things at work at the same time, like the fall and the curse that we all live under. What I mean by that is he's not going to overturn the whole reality of life, the fact that we live in a sin-wrecked world. So that if you're in the doctor's office, there's two ways to pray. One way, a prayer in which God might say no. And another way to pray in which God very likely will say yes. 
You're sitting in the doctor's office and you're waiting for the doctor to come and give you results of something. Many might pray, Lord, let me just be healthy. Let there be nothing wrong in my body. Let me be healthy. Now, he might. It's okay to express that to God. And he might say yes. But we live in a sin-wrecked world and we are all going to die. It's the curse. One day that time is going to come for all of us when the doctor is not going to come back with that good news. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's because we live in a sin-wrecked world. Now, the other way to pray that you can be confident and eagerly watch is to say, Lord, I don't know what your will is here. You know that I don't want to be sick, but I trust you. Please give me the courage, the strength to be godly through this. Now, that's a prayer you can stand back and eagerly watch, and God will answer. I hate to move through this so quickly. There's another possibility. He might be saying yes, but later. You know, God doesn't view time like we view time. One day is, in a thousand year, is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years is like one day. He might be saying yes. Just wait. Just wait. He might be saying yes, but not in the way you expect. You know, there was a time in my life when I was a bit of a loser. I know you can't believe that now because I'm so, such a winner, clearly, but... There was a time in my life when I didn't have any friends, and I definitely didn't have a girlfriend, and all I wanted was to meet somebody. Okay, so I prayed for that. I have prayer journals where I pray for that. God said, okay, but not the way you expect. Instead of me walking into school that day and meeting the woman of my dreams, he gave me two years in isolation with no friends, no girlfriend prospects whatsoever, by myself. And during that time, he pulled me into his word, and he really molded my heart to where I was ready to meet somebody. And then I met Meredith. And he did answer that prayer. But I didn't expect two years of just complete loneliness before that was going to happen. But that's how he answered it. So he might be saying yes later. Yes, but not the way you expect. And then there's another possibility. He might just plainly be saying, no, you've got sin in your life. You need to straighten out before I'm going to hear that prayer. I've heard two really godly pastors say... That they have turned down opportunities to pray with someone because they knew they had blatantly unrepentant sin in their life. Jim Simbala, anybody ever heard of him? The pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle? Um, he had a guy come to him. Yeah, it was a guy living with his girlfriend, clearly in a, in a uh, fornicating kind of relationship. And the guy wanted prayer for just blessing over that household. And Jim Simbala said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're leading one of God's daughters into sin. I'm not going to stand with you and request his blessing until you get that straightened out. Uh, another pastor I respect, Mark Driscoll, has done the same thing. In 1 Peter, it clearly indicates that if you're a husband not loving your wife well, it's going to hinder your prayers. And it makes sense, too, if you have kids. If I've told Elias, whatever it is, go clean your room or something, and he's just like, whatever, Dad, can I have a milkshake? Like, no. You're not even doing the basics of what I'm telling you to do. I'm not going to be doing all this additional stuff for you until you start to obey. So maybe God really isn't hearing your prayers if it doesn't feel like he's listening. I know I'm going a mile a minute. I want to pack in more than I have time for. David expects an answer. He expects an answer to his prayers because his prayers are based on meditations about God. 
His prayers are to align himself with God's will. So he eagerly watches. <laughs> That's probably my son right there. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. I want us to be a praying church, but not have a duty. I want us to be a praying church that's fueled by passion for God based on His Word. There are prayers that God will answer for us if we're praying rightly. Take Penny Crusade. I have prayers for this church beyond giving $3,000. I'm praying that God would give our church a missionary spirit. That we would passionately care about the nations that don't know Christ. I'm praying that he would raise up a missionary from our church. So that a real person would want to go. Not just send his wallet, but go. And say, I'm just going to put aside all this American stuff and go to take the gospel there. I'm praying for that. And I'm eagerly watching to see what's going to happen. This house to house thing. House to house isn't that important. What's important is that you people get into the word for real. That sermons like this don't get tossed in the trash can on your way out those doors, but you take them with you and you digest God's word and you respond. House to house isn't that important, but what's important is that you guys, this church, grow into the body of Christ and that we love each other and serve each other like God said. And that the body of Christ grows because of us. Those are the things I'm praying for. And I'm eagerly watching what's going to happen this week. Not because I've worked hard on creating a program. I don't care if house to house goes up in flames. If our church could be that, man, I'd be so happy. That's what I'm praying for, for you. And I'm eagerly watching. So the next few weeks we're going to be meditating on God, who He is. And we're going to see what he does with our church. Yeah, I mentioned the Brooklyn Tabernacle. That church grew, grew explosively. And somebody came to visit their church one morning. It was just in awe of it. And the pastor said, well, let me go show you where, how all this happens. Let me take you down to the boiler room. And it was a big facility, so the visitor just thought it was a boiler room where the machinery operated. I don't know what he thought. And he went down there, and it was a room in the basement where people were just praying. Crying out to God and praying. And God was responding. God can do great things in your life, in your family, in this church. In Acts, if you read Acts, the beginning, the church is just unstoppable. God is adding to their number and it's just rolling along. Persecution, nothing can stop it. The church fueled by prayer and God's power is unstoppable. He will build his church then why does Julian's Grove sometimes feel so stoppable? Summertime comes, the sun comes out, and we change the time, and all of a sudden we've got nobody around. There's, there's more tumbleweeds blowing through the hallways than people for Sunday school. And I don't mean that Sunday school is the gauge of spiritual health. I just It feels so stoppable sometimes, and I think this is what's missing. I need you, you real people, to figure this prayer thing out. The church was born in a prayer room. In Acts, when the Holy Spirit came down and just blew it up and, and the word started going out with power, 
That was in a prayer meeting. The church was born in a prayer meeting, and it'll die without prayer. So I'm asking you, pray. Figure this prayer thing out. Do it together. House to house. You knew that was going to be one more plug before the sermon ended. I love you all very much. I'm going to pray for you, and we'll sing our last song. You can try to beat those Baptists, but it's way too late now because I kept you late. Sorry. It's over. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. God, you are glorious and you are powerful. Please help us to respond rightly to you. Please help us to be a praying people, a praying church full of praying families and individuals. Help us to take this faith of ours out of the sanctuary, into our neighborhoods, into our homes. Help us not to just forget what we hear, but to digest it and change. Lord, may you be glorified and so pleased by this group, this gathering of believers that we call Dillon's Grove. It's in Jesus' name we pray.